1: Welcome in San Diego, it's Jade Hindman here. Class is back in session at Sweetwater High with a focus on deep learning and critical thinking. We'll talk about how that prepares students for the future. This is Midday Edition, connecting our communities through conversation.
0: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen.
1: Today is the first day back to school for students in the Chula Vista Elementary and Sweetwater Union High School districts. Sweetwater High is one of more than two dozen schools in the Sweetwater District. Its principal, Alejandra Nzunza, is joining me to discuss the start of the new school year. And Alejandra, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me today.
1: So glad to have you here. Your district is on a year-round schedule, so Sweetwater and Chula Vista Elementary District Uh, are the first in the county to start the fall semester. What are the challenges and benefits of starting earlier in the summer?
2: Well, you know, I truly believe starting earlier in the summer is more of a benefit than a challenge. You know, we all get some time off to rest, meaning our staff and our students. But the break is long and short enough that our students uh, don't lose that learning Um, that they had in June. And this
1: year, the Sweetwater Union High School District is focused on a concept of deeper learning. What does that look like in your curriculum?
2: Yes, you know, I really appreciate our district's focus on embracing that deeper learning. And it really is about developing essential skills in our students. As we know, our staff are committed to teaching our academic standards but it's really about engaging our students in their learning which means it's learning skills essential skills as well for life so deeper learning looks like learning how to think for yourself it's learning how to solve problems to be a dynamic communicator and really developing more creativity and the ability for our students to think deeper and not only what they're learning but what they do here on campus.
1: That's great. So what are some of the ways you all um, encourage that in students? What does the lesson plan kind of look like? Are there specific
2: exercises or activities? I worked with our staff in really collaborating together in lesson planning. And it's about having lesson plans that are engaging for students that are relevant to their life. So we may have an academic standard that we're teaching, but how does that impact them on their daily life? And in our lesson plans, what we want our students to do is to also work collectively in groups and be able to, whether it's solving a problem, whether it is um, in a lab, coming up with uh, collective agreements in a classroom, it really is giving them the ability to teach and learn from each other as well.
1: I mean, what do you think are the most effective ways to communicate deeper learning and um, to encourage it? I mean, is it simply cracking open a book or is it more hands-on, a more hands-on approach?
2: I think there's a little bit of both. Our students all learn differently. And so, you know, I encourage and we work with our teachers to plan lesson plans that hit the learning modalities of all students. Um, And with deeper learning is learning your students deeper as well, and um, meeting them where they are and helping them accelerate that. And that's how we communicate uh, that deeper learning and with our students, also communicating with them the strengths that they have and what they also offer to not only our school, but when they leave, right, to the world. And that's really that that communication is really empowering them to also take ownership of their learning and doing it in a place where we're going to have that support for them.
1: That's great. And uh, also, you know, it's been over three years since the coronavirus pandemic closed schools for extended periods of time. Do you think students have recovered from the learning loss?
2: I think with anything in any year, we have students that learn on a different level and You know, we are setting systems so that if we have students who are um, having a difficult time in their learning or are continuing to learn, we're setting those systems for and interventions really for those students. I think in any year, I know with the coronavirus, um, we talked about learning loss and learning gaps, but last year we really focused on accelerating our learning. And while we may have students that may have had some gaps, it was really meeting them where they are and accelerating that.
1: And I know that there are a lot of students who speak English as a second language who are in the school district and entering uh, the school district. How are you all able to really support those students
2: um, and their parents? We see all of our English learners as a population that needs that extra support. So in our school culture, our English learners are all our students, and so we're all teachers of any student who um, may need a little more support in their English development. And so as principal, I also offer many parent um, workshops. We have an active parent center here with parent volunteers. Um, We work with community members um, to see what supports we can give any family, um, regardless of their language um, or any barriers they may have that is the school culture that we've built around here is really supporting that whole student um, and family and parent as needed. Um, what programs are being offered
1: this school year in terms of addressing the mental health needs of students?
2: So we also work very closely um, with our student support services department and offering um, mental health services, referrals. Um, we do have uh, mental health clubs on our campuses Um, and work directly with uh, district psychologists um, and making sure that we're meeting the needs and the social needs, mental needs of our students.
1: And as the principal, what are you most looking forward to in this new school year?
2: Oh, as principal, I absolutely love and enjoy what I do. And I'm really looking forward today to see the many smiling faces on our students and just welcoming here at Sweetwater High School, Um, just giving them a smile, saying good morning, thanking them for being here. Um, so as when they walk in, they know that they are coming to a school environment that is caring and safe. And that's what I'm looking forward to is really seeing students again. And what do you anticipate are some of the challenges this year? I really tend to be, um, I think my philosophy is knowing that there can always be challenges, but we plan and prepare our school year so that we're able to um, navigate, I guess, any challenge that might come our way. Um, I'll be honest, at this point today, I'm anticipating welcoming kids into classrooms and starting with uh, building that connection to our school, so that our students have a safe place to be. And, um, you know, that's really what I'm anticipating more than anything.
1: Is there anything else you want to talk about or Um, highlight about this school year or anything that's different that you want to talk about?
2: Just uh, that we're excited. I'm really proud to be principal here at Sweetwater High School. There's a lot of pride and legacy here in um, in National City and being a part of the Sweetwater District. Um, I already felt that excitement from our teachers and staff, and that's, that's what we're looking forward to. I asked them today what they love about this school, and every single one resounding said, our students. And that really does feel that, that pride that we have here.
1: I've been speaking with Sweetwater High Principal Alejandra Nzunza. And Alejandra, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It it was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: What do you think are most important lessons to be taught in the classroom? Give us a call at 619-452-0228. Leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. Coming up, we'll talk about the significance of the upcoming Filipino Friendship Festival.
3: With this festival, we want to share our culture, our heritage, and more importantly, the history. Because again, the Philippines was once a territory and governed by the United States.
1: KPBS Midday Edition
4: is back after the break.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. The third annual Filipino American Friendship Festival is this Saturday. It commemorates when the Philippines became fully independent from United States governance on July 4th, 1946. It's also an opportunity for Filipino Americans in San Diego to celebrate their history and heritage through a festival filled with Filipino food vendors, merchandise, art, community-based organizations, and live entertainment. Here to talk more about the festival and its cultural significance is Joanne Fields. She is the Government and Public Relations Director at the Asian Pacific Islander Initiative. Uh, Joanne, welcome. Thank you for having me, Jade. So glad to have you here with us. So I want to start with some history. Could you tell us more about Filipino-American Friendship Day and what it represents to Filipino Americans?
3: Sure. We don't hear enough information during history classes, American history classes. And many may not realize that the Philippines was once a territory like Guam and like Puerto Rico. And on July 4th, 1946, the Treaty of Manila was signed relinquishing U.S. sovereignty over the Philippines and recognized the independence of the Republic of the Philippines, meaning that that is our Independence Day, which is really unique that our Independence Day falls the same day as July 4th for the U.S. Independence Day. So with this festival, we want to share our culture, our heritage, and more importantly, the history. Because again, the Philippines was once a territory and governed by the United States. And we fought uh, side by side during World War II. So with the 217,000 Filipinos residing in the County of San Diego, according to the US Census Bureau, This is the time that we can really um, showcase our wares, our art, our talent, and of course, our food. And it's all happening at the Naval Training Center Park, NTC Park, at Liberty Station. Many many people know that uh, at least the majority of Filipinos, they came to San Diego by way of the military. So it'll be also like a reunion of sorts to come back to NTC um, Park where it's a free family event. All we ask is you to bring a lawn chair and just enjoy uh, the day with us. Starting at 11 o'clock all the way up until six in the afternoon.
1: There will also be a Filipino history exhibit that will feature the duty to country curriculum, which highlights Filipino World War II veterans who served under the American flag and their decades-long civil rights struggle to gain recognition and benefits from the U.S. government. The Bataan Death March is one major example where veterans were long denied benefits. Uh, Tell us more about the history behind this exhibit. Again, Much of our history isn't taught
3: in school. So instead of waiting for someone else to develop this curriculum, we are part of a organization, um, the PhilVet Rep, where we developed the curriculum to teach the Filipino's role in World War II, the untold story. And um, we supported and contributed to the curriculum through our teachers, that are on the board of the Filipino American Educators Association. So we will have a booth that will have uh, the full curriculum available. We also have video. We have uh, giveaways to help promote um, and educate our community what our untold story was during World War II.
1: And you mentioned Filipino American history is rarely represented in school curriculums, if at all. Can you talk more about why it's so important for Filipino youth to learn about their history and more broadly, why it's important for everyone to learn about it?
3: Well, it is important for all of us to to learn, but especially our young people, so that they know that the Filipino community contributed into American history. We're really not foreigners, especially when we were governed by the United States. We were a territory of the United States. And when you learn about your history, when you learn about the contributions um, of our community, that helps erase hate. And we know that Asian hate runs rampant um, nationally and even here in San Diego. So when we can remind people we contributed um, in the military, we contributed into American history. And our young people, when they learn that we are part of history, that is something to be proud of. That is something that we should share with one another and celebrate with um, one another so that it, it's a coming together for our community.
1: And is that the reason you started this festival back in 2021?
3: Yes, that is the very reason why we started this festival, because we cannot wait for the curriculum to be approved by a board for ethnic studies or wait for the book to be written. So this way we are um, providing the oral history we are celebrating in a fun way. We're able to share this with the community at large because this isn't just for Filipinos. This is for all of San Diego to enjoy and learn. And what better way to learn about uh, the culture is through uh, a fun festival where the whole family can participate. When we teach the curriculum in the classroom, we have to be able to be in the classroom. But for us adults and for our seasoned seniors and those that aren't on campus, again, this is a way that we can um, teach and uh, share
1: our rich culture and heritage. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman, speaking with Joanne Fields, the Government and Public Relations Director at the Asian Pacific Islander Initiative about the Filipino American Friendship Festival. And Joanne, you're a a longtime leader and advocate for the AAPI community. You're also the director of the Filipino Resource Center and led community outreach efforts during the pandemic. I'm curious, what drives your advocacy?
3: Well, having been a government uh, liaison, a community liaison for five elected officials over the past close to 25 years now. I've learned when there is a political will that we can really make a positive impact. But if our community doesn't know who to turn to, where do we ask for programs and services, I really feel like it is my duty to do so. And these are our taxpayer dollars that we have all contributed. So when it came to the pandemic, well, we have partners that offered uh, food for our seniors when they were not able to go to the grocery store um, safely. For about a year and a half with I Am My Brother's Keeper, we um, partnered together to serve the community, and that's through relationships. When it came to the vaccines, access to vaccines, they were not in our neighborhoods, we were able to partner with our government officials like the um, governor's office, the mayor's office, um, council member uh, Monica Montgomery Stepp to ensure that we have vaccines and testing um, readily available without having to drive on the freeway and uh, locate these services outside of our community. And again, because of my lived experience, I want to share that with our community and make that impact. We don't have a lot of funding, but we have relationships and partnerships to provide us access. But unless you know where to turn to, it's hard to get those um, organizations or programs to come um, work with us. So that's my motivation, knowing that we're able to do so. But we have to ask. We have to have those connections and relationships with the county health and human services with um, different entities so that we can better serve and improve
1: the quality of life of all San Diegans, not just a chosen few. Indeed. And I want to talk about uh, Filipino representation, too. Uh, According to the Pew Research Center, Filipinos are the third largest Asian American community in the US. And like you mentioned, there are more than 200,000 Filipinos just in San Diego alone. But Filipinos are still underrepresented in many areas, especially in politics and media. What are your thoughts on that? And why is that? Well, I believe because politics in the Philippines is different.
3: I'm um, sorry to say that they pay for votes there. Here, it's the other way around. But you have to advocate. We have to educate. But, and I, I think that because we are providing more access, because our elected officials are realizing that Filipinos are the largest Asian group here in the county of San Diego, according to the U.S. Census, We're the second largest ethnic group after Latinos, that our vote is rising, slowly but surely. And we just need to continue to engage. And I believe it's the next generation. Our parents immigrated to the United States, chasing the American dream. It's our generation to make sure we get our piece of the American pie. And now our kids are growing um, as adults, and we need them to take their leadership role in the community. So it it is taking time and generations, but I believe it's starting to happen with our Filipino Resource Center to provide connections to resources. We have internships for our young people in journalism, in community organizing, and we're assisting our young people with internships in elected offices. So providing those connections, those experiences, I believe we'll be able to see um, more representation when it comes to elected roles with leadership roles, because that wasn't readily available to us um, as young people in in my time or even with our parents. So uh, again, I I look forward to seeing more elected officials. We do have uh, a great network of Filipinos that are working within elected offices and in leadership roles but now we just got to get them to the
1: finish line and to get them to actually run. Are there any issues facing the Filipino community nationally or locally uh, that you think are, are being overlooked today?
3: I really think our biggest challenge is disaggregated data For Filipinos amongst the Asian Pacific Islander umbrella. Because when it comes to proving the need, whether it is um, access to quality health care to address high blood pressure or diabetes, if it is to address um, small business needs, we are still coming out of the COVID pandemic, and some small businesses have difficulty recovering. Um, Because of the lack of staff, we need to know where to access funding so that to help bring them back to the staffing levels, they need to run a productive uh, business. We need data to make sure that our young people are able to achieve. In school, there is a stereotype that we're all valedictorians, that we all have good grades, but people don't know the data. That Filipinos also have a very high suicidal ideation because of the pressures to achieve, because of the pressures that you know fall upon um, you know our young people, because of the sacrifices our parents have made to come to the U.S. So without data, it's it it's very challenging to get the supports that we need. But also we need the data to see, if are, are we able to access affordable housing? We do have unsheltered Filipinos, but they're not counted by ethnicity when there is um, a count of the homeless. We need data. And data, I believe, is the national crisis that we have because we're not able to prove the needs for programs and services.
1: Yeah, I mean... And you've got so many efforts underway. So I'm curious, you know, what now? What currently are you leading in the community to push for more Filipino visibility?
3: So I can start with the Filipino American Friendship Festival. I am on the language advisory for the San Diego County Registrar of Voters. We will have a voter registration drive at the festival. We are educating our community on the special election that's happening uh, to fill the vacancy of former Supervisor Fletcher. We are making sure that our young people are prepared and know of internships. So we are working on that. Uh, we have Rhodes Scholars, where that is a uh, program for our young people to meet elected officials in office. Filipinos in leadership, like Attorney General Rob Monta. Mayor Todd Gloria, and anywhere we can connect our young people to someone that looks like them. So they know that you can strive to be that person, whether it's a council member, a mayor, um, attorney general, we have those connections. So we're taking these young people on the road and taking it straight to
1: them. What is your ultimate goal with the Filipino American Friendship Festival?
3: Really, this Uh, festival is to raise the visibility of the Filipino uh, community. Because when we ask people who is Asian, usually you'll hear Chinese, Vietnamese, Japanese, or Pacific Islanders, Native Hawaiian, Samoan, or Chamorro. But rarely we hear Filipino. We have small businesses and restaurants and churches. And um, like not many other cities, In the city of San Diego, we have at least 40 Filipino language classes taught in school as part of the curriculum for world language. So we do have programs, but some people just don't know it's there. So with the festival, we're able to um, showcase that and just connect people and inform them that we we have Filipino language, we have the duty to country curriculum, We do have issues in the community that we can work with one another to improve the quality of life because not one person, not one organization can do it all. But when we come together, we are stronger. And again, this event is not just for Filipinos, this is for all of San Diego to enjoy. And I know people that are flying in to participate with us. So um, that's what's really exciting that it is a sharing of culture and heritage. And um, it's free.
1: (laughs) So, again, (laughs)
3: thank you. Thank you, Jade, for for the opportunity. And I hope it all works out.
1: I've been speaking with Joanne Fields, the Government and Public Relations Director at the API Initiative. The Filipino-American Friendship Festival will take place on Saturday, July 22nd, from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the NTC Park and Liberty Station. And, Joanne, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you again.